Welcome to Dark Days Radio Presents Dark Hammer, a Worlds of Warhammer RPG podcast. Uh, I'm one of your regular hosts, Chris, and I'm joined by Mike. Hey, Mike, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. Um, currently, I guess, in a uh, in a bunker or a dungeon or something, because my ping is through the roof. So you might hear some little gaps and delays in this episode, but we'll do our best in post-production to uh, fix all that. And uh, yeah. Glad to be here, Chris, and uh, excited to talk about our topic for tonight. And what is that? We're going to talk about corn. We're going to talk about the Chaos Gods, and we're going to start with corn. So I guess this will be the first of one of four, maybe one of many, where we start going through yeah. uh, the ruinous powers uh, and their their agents, their demons, their uh, various entities that, that exist within their pantheon, because obviously they, they, they're they in all three Warhammer RPGs, within all three Warhammer settings. So they are the, the glue that binds, as it were, and uh, we're going to look at how we can make use of them in our roleplay games, because while on the surface, they're quite obvious, maybe, or maybe not as obvious. Um, I think there's a lot of nuance that can be achieved with them. Uh, mm-hmm. Before we get into that, though, uh, let's do a little bit of a game update. So, Mike, what have you been playing? Any miniatures or anything like that? I was playing some Dungeons and Dragons last weekend with uh, actually some old high school friends and uh, some college folks as well. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, the adventure was based off of the Red Wedding from the uh, Game of Thrones book series and also the TV show, uh, wherein, you know, things all it happens at a wedding and things go south and you're stuck in the middle of the castle and you have to try to escape. So I thought that was a fun little reversal of the uh, usual D&D tropes. And uh, people loved it, had a good time. There was a bit of a Scooby-Doo reveal at the very end, which really uh, played out pretty well. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. And Chris, how about you? What have you been playing lately? Uh, let's think. Well, I think since I last recorded and since uh, since the last episode of Realm of Fire, uh, I've played some Warcry. So I got a friend uh, back into... Well, yeah, we don't be wargaming as much. but uh, So I think it's the first time I met up with him since the since the pandemic so we've done some we've done some role play online together but uh it was first time doing some miniatures gaming so i introduced him to warcry now obviously it was only Mm. 1.0 so second edition is out as of today and i'm waiting for my core game to arrive uh but yeah he really liked it um because of just how simple it is like you know the idea that it only takes up a coffee table of space and you know you've only got like a certain number of miniatures you know like a dozen or less and just how fast uh the gameplay is so that was really a really good fun uh scenario so we used the uh we used the red harvest terrain you know all the sluices and mining uh, mm, yep. uh devices that were there in that terrain set and the objective was to gather treasure and you think okay gather treasure easy enough no not when the treasure is actually varanite so your warriors were going across the board searching for varanite fighting each other 
to get more of it because there's only a certain number of tokens on the board once you've discovered it. And at the end of every activation, so so once a fighter's fully done all of its actions, uh, they take damage from the treasure they are carrying because the Varanite is um, is this mutagenic warp tainted uh, warp stone from uh, from you know mined from the earth in the ore points uh, near the Varan spire. So it was pretty brutal on the fighters. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just a really good close game. So I'm looking forward to playing some second edition. Uh, I don't think, I mean, we'll mostly talk about this more on Realm of Light. I don't think reactions are actually going to, in practice, be, be um, make a huge difference to gameplay. Uh, I think it might mean you're a bit more engaged in it while your opponent is activating their character, their their models. And then otherwise, I've just been painting lots of Necromunda stuff and gearing up ready to do a campaign, which I think at this rate is going to be end of September because I've got too much going on in my uh, house with a kitchen refit. So, uh, though I'll be playing like at the um, the local gaming club, I think. That's going to be the plan. Oh, also in learning to drive, yeah, because once I've passed that, then obviously getting terrain kits and miniatures up to the gaming club will be much simpler. So, yeah, that's pretty much it right now. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Um, I remember you were saying that you're looking for that Bloodborne uh, Barnes & Noble exclusive version of Warcry as well. Um, yeah. So that, that seems like it might be pretty cool, like a great option for even even quicker introduction to Warcry. Yeah, it's very... It's hex-based. Uh, it's been out for at least a year or so, uh, and it's one of those games which gets a, a release in, I would say, in regions where they don't have as many games workshop stores for their you know warhammer stores for the you know ip presence so uh yeah bloodborne basically is uh is Warcry on a hex grid a smaller board again uh so there's no 3d terrain elements to it but essentially the rules are pretty much the same with you know alternating activation and you get two actions per character blah 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 uh and you get two war bands in there so you get the blood is it the the godsworn hunt i think yeah and there's some other chaos one in there and then you also get cards for two other war bands uh which are war bands from Warhammer Underworld. So the point is the war bands you get in there, they're only like are only like a half dozen models or less because they're actually using kits from Warhammer Underworlds. So the two in there you get are like a Dark Oath one and a Slaves to Darkness Chaos Warriors one. And then the other two hmm. war bands you can add to it. I think one of them is a Zinchian war band with the uh with the Zang, uh, with the Zangors, or maybe it was a Slanishy one. I can't remember, but yeah, there are options. There are there is actually room to expand it. So I think it's a really cool introduction to uh, both Games Workshop stuff, Age of Sigma, and uh, Warcry. Awesome, yeah, that sounds really cool. And uh, yeah, why don't we uh, move on over to talking a little bit of uh, gaming news as well? 
so yes, uh, obviously Warcraft 2.0 is out. Uh, we'll talk about that on Realm of Fire at some point when we get a chance to. Uh, we also have, I think, the most interesting thing, I think, for Necromunda coming up. Uh, which is a the first the first book of an ongoing campaign they are doing for Necromunda. So, the Great Rift, the Cyclops Maledictum, obviously tore the you know split the galaxy in half into the Imperium. You know the Imperium is divided in two, and that means uh, that's been a major plot point in you know Warhammer Forty Thousand books for like the last three years more more uh so what they are doing now is they are i guess basically bringing the necromunda timeline up to up to contemporary 40k so the great rift is visible across the galaxy it's visible from necromunda and that the opening of that great rift has precipitated some calamitous events on necromunda uh, including the attempted assassination of the Lord Governor uh, Helmore of Necromunda. So he's in stasis, you know, and that means there's going to be political craziness going on on Necromunda, which of course is going to spill out into uh, the the, uh, the houses of Necromunda and how they basically will commit to warfare against each other and back hopefully the winning party who will take over as Lord Governor of Necromunda. So I think that's a that just shows that Necromunda as a setting has grown ever more. I mean we've had also the the Ash Waste book, which is really awesome. There's lots of cool stuff in there which I can't wait to start using with vehicle rules in Necromunda. Um but yeah, I think that's pretty cool. We'll have to get that campaign and review it on Dark Hammer as like a uh, RPG supplement. Yeah. Maybe I think that'd be a very interesting idea. You know, to go along with Wrath and Glory. Definitely, I de- I think definitely that's a really good idea. Um, also, in related kind of gaming news, I know um, Dark Tide uh, has been delayed until I think November. So that's the Warhammer Forty Thousand uh, first person shooter. I guess first-person shooter, yep. first uh, whatever you whatever you describe Vermintide to be, Dark Tide is the equivalent for forty k. Um, that looks really good though. That looks super cool. Yeah, yeah, Dark Tide uh, is is pretty neat, and um, I I like Vermintide. You know, it's a very uh, you know efficient game for what it is of hacking through tons of rats and stuff. So. It's uh, it's pretty neat. Um, but I think another piece of news that I wanted to bring up, I know this is uh, Dark Hammer, Chris, not Dark Iron, but uh, War Machine Mark IV has been getting a lot of announcements. And uh, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty interesting. I think they learned a lot from uh, the choices they made with Mark III. And uh, there's a lot of excitement about this. And I think it's going to definitely make some waves in the near future. Yeah, we, so I guess... It should be. It will be our plan. Um, we will do a, a Dark Iron series. I'm going to try and work out a logo for it. <laughs> uh, I think I can do that these days. My skills have improved, or I might just ask someone to make a new logo for us. Um, 
but yeah, we'll give them to you some Dark Iron episodes. Uh, we can trundle those out when we feel like we're we've read up on the relevant stuff. We can get or we can get someone on to chat about it. Um, but yeah, basically, War Machine Four Point will kick us off into that. So uh, I'm heavily biased as well on this with having written for Private Press for the Iron Kingdoms RPG. But so to put that into role play terms for people. Uh, War Machine 4.0 takes place after the after, well let's just say it, it's in the future that the Iron Kingdoms RPG so Iron Kingdoms Requiem is exploring so Requiem is set before Mark 4 so we're seeing I think about a, if, I be, if I'm right something almost like a 20 year time skip between the end of Mark 3 to the start of Mark 4, which is huge because a lot can happen in 20 years in a setting that is essentially, was essentially on the cusp of a form of industrial revolution. And we're going to see how that influences both the look of the Warjacks and their technologies. Uh, we also have the Orgoth returning and invading Kador. Uh, hashtag Lael laughs for once about about someone being invaded. Um, mm. I think it's going to be really interesting to see perhaps how uh, Lael as a country has evolved. There's also the evolution of the um, the retribution of Syra and the the uh, the elves in the uh, kingdom of. Uh, of Eos because they're basically all dead. They're they're all dead. They're they've basically become uh, undead. That is an undead kingdom of undead elves, which again is very different. Uh, yeah. So I'm actually I am back painting uh, slowly painting some MK3 starter sets for War Machine because they're doing some things. They're locking in. For the fourth edition rule set, you're going to get all the cards for all the stuff ever produced before, and that will be locked in and never change. And then anything they produce, all the cards that they do, I say cards, it's all going to be digital. All the cards for all the new releases will be uh, have continuous updates to keep game balance. And there'll be, I think, a free app. The rules are free. Uh, they're doing some interesting things with how they're producing the game. Uh, and rules-wise, you can read the beta of the War Machine rules right now. I think there's some good changes there. Like, they're getting rid of facings. They're getting rid of uh, stuff like free strikes. So, they've again, they've gone in and taken a machete to the rule system to, to streamline it. Um, so, yeah. And that makes me think about... Um, it made me think out loud about how I'm actually quite glad I've got all the books for the previous edition of the Iron Kingdoms RPG because that actually represents then quite a good skirmish system for Iron Kingdoms where you want to play something where you don't have just warjacks. So I've got an idea, but like uh, I'm going to keep it keep it under my hat for a bit because I've got ideas. Anyway, enough about War Machine. This is about Warhammer. Um, 
So I guess we should chat about uh, about corn. Yep, let's do it. Right, corn. Uh, we're going to start with uh, with the simpler introduction uh, to who corn is, and we're going to begin with the origins of, uh, I guess, the curse gods in general. Uh, in some respects, and then more specifically to do with corn. So, in Warhammer, the the old world, and thus for Age of Sigma, because that is the future setting of Warhammer Fantasy, chaos is essentially a primeval force. It's a it's a ultimate alternate dimension where uh, let's we'll say psychic and magic magical energy coalesces and forms and allows magic to occur in the old world. You know, it seeps in, and that's what people wield to perform magical abilities. Maybe also, it's you know, it's the same thing which, in effect, empowers priests because they're they're calling on divine divine powers, divine intervention. That's obviously going to be a blessing from their gods, and their gods, whether they're good or bad, exist within the realm of chaos. This is the realm of deities and demons, and I'm sure stranger entities as well. Now, the realm of chaos is important because it is this kind of subspace, let's call it subspace or hyperspace, if we use a Babylon 5 term there, which allowed the old ones to come from whatever world they originated from to the old world. So it's a form of fast travel across the the heavens, let's just say, for Warhammer fantasy purposes. And the old ones constructed essentially giant stargates <laughs> at the poles of the old world, which allowed them to travel to and from the old world. However, Everything, of course, went bad, and in the Warhammer Fantasy setting, these Chaos Gates collapsed onto the Old World, they crashed into the poles, and that explosion of energy from those chaos, from those gates caused a merger between the, uh, or rift between the Realm of Chaos and the Old World. And that's from where magical energy spills into the old world and is what allows, I guess, more magical powers to be wielded than normally should be allowed. Uh, the realms of chaos, you know, the, the, the realms of chaos with their merger into the old world means as you get closer and closer to North Pole, there is a point where that is. It's not going to be a, a distinct line in the sand, but there's a point where you are crossing into a merger between the material and the immaterial, as it were. Now, within the realm of chaos, as I said, there are entities, gods, and there are, of course, the chaos gods. They are, well, you could actually say there's mostly multiple chaos gods, but because chaos is a chaos by its nature, is chaotic. There are different facets to it, different ways it can manifest, but we typically experience the Chaos Gods in, as one of the four major gods of that pantheon. So, of these gods, we have Korn, we have Nurgle, we have Zinch, and we have Slanesh. And we're going to talk about Korn, because Korn is, in essence, 
more than likely in the Warhammer Fantasy universe, the oldest god, even though time is kind of a, you know, is a construct which only makes sense in the material world. But Corn is likely the oldest or or more the the most foundational and principal of the Celt gods because Corn is focused on the emotions and urges around bloodshed and warfare and rage and anger, which every creature experiences at some level because you know they have to survive and survival means bloodshed. Of course, bloodshed and the the need to commit murder, commit death, destruction, uh, that becomes a very different urge when it's coming from sentient beings like humans, like dwarves, like elves, and other, other creatures like that. So the other thing we should then say is that Korn's influence waxes and wanes like all the other Chaos Gods, but is always at its zenith when war and battle is prevalent within the world. So when it's between wars, Corn is mostly not not as powerful. You could possibly say mostly more powerful is going to be Slanesh, who is kind of the polar opposite of Corn, or Zinch, because Zinch is a uh, a manipulator and is more interested in in that kind of intrigue and and manipulating people to create conspiracies to to cause the downfall of the world. The other interesting aspect we should say, and this is a point you, you picked up on, Mike, is that of the Chaos Gods, we should also wonder if, and I don't know whether this is ever has a solid question, but do we consider that the the mortal gods, we'll call them, like Sigmar, Myrmidur, and Ulrich, who are also gods of warfare in some to some degree, whether they are aspects of corn or they are vying against corn. So, are they separate entities, mm-hmm. or are they mine? Are they minor deities, or they, or are they uh, just just chaos through a particular lens? Right, right, right. Yeah, that was um, it was discussed a little bit in the End Times uh, Malekith book back in the day for the uh, the end of the Warhammer setting, and it was also kind of explored and, and hinted at in some other books. There was this question as to whether or not they are separate or just aspects of them, and this is for mortal gods like like Sigmar for the humans, um, but also for you know the elven gods like Cain, uh, the god of murder for the uh, for the elves themselves. So I don't think it's ever been really. Um, strictly uh stated if this is the case or not and it gets even murkier in age of sigmar right because sigmar literally has been running around whether in physical or yeah um supernatural forms um and has been has been affecting the mortal realms so is he an aspect of corn it seems like probably not at this point in, in the age of sigmar um game but if you're playing soulbound there could be a heresy that believes that Sigmar is just an aspect of Corn, um, and that could be pretty interesting to deal with. Or maybe even your characters might join that heresy. That would be fascinating to explore. Uh, it would also be really interesting to see how that would also interplay with um, with the Daughters of Cain, uh, since uh, Marathi 
has ascended to godhood and is identifying as Marathi Cain, uh, and so has taken on all the aspects of of Cain, who is a mur- the murder god, because that god essentially died uh, during the end times or has been dead for some time. And she has the Iron Heart of Cain. So, yeah, that was that's a very. Um, but that that essentially what you, you're getting at there is the fact that you could is how you can have coordinate how potentially coordinate cults uh, and heretics can be within the ranks of the priesthoods of other gods that have warlike or murderous uh, associations, such as. Marathi Cain, or Sigma, or uh, I can't think of the other one right now. Whichever, which, whichever one of the Duarden gods it is, uh, who's mm-hmm. also quite yeah. uh, warlike, um, and that also then plays into how we have to consider maybe how the orc gods are again a different thing because they're very warlike, but they're more about destruction versus Corn's just total bloodshed. So. There's a there's some very interesting interplay there, right, right, yeah, certainly. And um, let's stick with Age of Sigmar a little bit here because when Age of Sigmar first hit back in what was that 2015, uh, the Blades of Corn were the uh, major antagonist to the uh, Stormcast Eternals. They were really put front and center, and Corn was given a uh, you know a, a high bill in the uh, game originally. And the Blades of Corn are kind of just a representation of the different war hosts that roam the mortal realms, slaughtering civilizations and piling skulls as high as mountains. And uh, they're basically just a bunch of muscular dudes designed to be a kind of Conan-style antagonist. Um, so they're pretty much what you'd expect from Corn, but there's actually a lot of like really cool characters that uh, are associated with them. Uh, for example, there's Valkia, who is the uh, queen of the Bloodbound, and she is so angry, so pissed that Corn keeps resurrecting her whenever she dies. And uh, <laughs> I've heard that a lot of people really like her her Black Library novels as well. So there's definitely some good characterization there. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, yep. Like corn, corn obviously has a huge influence on the realm of fire because there are many. That's essentially the first uh, beachhead of of Sigmarite forces back into the mortal realms in Age of Sigmar. So, uh, and that's why we saw that focus on cornate on the blades of corn and cornate warhouse because that was essentially the first you know forces of chaos that. The Stormcast were up against as mm-hmm. they waged, you know, came in and started establishing their, you know, their cities like uh, like Hammerhall and and so forth in the realm of Akshai. So there's there's a lot there with the with how in Age of Sigmar there's there's likely a lot of uh, people. I, I we say barbarian hordes, but the people that existed in that nightmarish kind of post-apocalyptic setting of the realm of fire and had to to a certain extent maybe you know give some degree of reverence to corn even though they wanted to just try and survive um there's also i think the one of the the moons of or it's one of the stars but one of the suns of uh of akshai is uh is actually tainted by chaos and I'm sure part of it is like ruled over by corn um 
that's something we can get into when we talk about the mortal realms themselves because like there's a whole like 12 of them to talk about at some point mm-hmm. right okay so that's kind of an overview of of corn's origins and what he's like in the fantasy universe so in 40k things are somewhat different um because we actually have a bit of a timeline so and of course the origin of gods is quite different so the old ones back to the old ones again are a ancient alien race that traveled the galaxy populating it with various sentient uh beings and they use the warp to traverse space very quickly uh and they eventually came into conflict with the Necron tier, who would go on to be the Necrons. And that war in heavens tainted the war. So much bloodshed, so it started to create and coalesce entities and other beings there related to other emotions because there was so much strife. And so that's mostly when the first motes of the entity that would become known as Korn began, began to manifest. So... It's believed Corn and the other other two Chaos Gods at the time, so Zeech and Nurgle, came into existence in the galaxy, in the universe, around about 1000 AD. So that's also consistent with a lot when there was a lot of warfare, a lot of warfare and a lot of bloodshed uh, occurring on Earth. And if you think about it, humans... As a as a as a race in the 40k universe, where essentially you could almost think were mostly designed by the old ones to be this ultimate psychic weapon that you know even makes the Eldari kind of pale in comparison to. We also have the Eldari god Karl Menchikane. So again, this murdered god, this war god, which the Eldari have. Uh, but again, that's represents a slightly different approach to warfare, one which is more controlled. And I think that's the, the point we're getting at with these different entities about where the where murder warfare has a end goal beyond the very act itself, whereas Korn is just interested in the act of warfare and bloodshed and death. Uh, and that to it, that's, that's the point of it. There's nothing more. Whether it brings about a new kingdom or or peace, corn doesn't care. Bring about peace is the worst thing. Anyway, so then we have later on, of course, even more bloodshed and and destruction in the galaxy because humanity spreads out through the stars. They come into contact with the orcs. Uh, humanity has its war against the men of iron, and there's the down the dark age of technology and the age of strife, which leads to. Eventually, the you know in the thirty first millennium, the Emperor's Great Crusade, which again leads to a lot of warfare, as you know, various former uh, kingdoms or empires, uh, planets are brought back into the fold, not all willingly, so that leads to more warfare, and that leads to humans with their emotions, fueling this entity that exists in the warp. So that must have been very difficult for the Emperor to 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 balance, knowing that he had to do this horrific work in the vain hope that it might bring about peace. Um, and of course, we then eventually have uh, the Horus Heresy, which just magnifies all, this, all these problems ever more. So 
yeah, the 40k universe is is pretty much uh, a smorgasbord for corn because there's there's war and bloodshed going on somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yep. In the grim dark future, there is only war, so corn is doing pretty well. Yeah, and that's a great history that you went over there, Chris. Um, you know, in the for- by the time of the 41st millennium, you know the. Uh, the, the banner boys of Korn are, of course, the World Eaters, which are like a, a chaos space marine legion of genetically engineered uh, superhumans that all have these brain implants in their heads, which make them incredible fighters, but also make them go crazy, crazy with bloodlust. And, um, you know, they are, of course, uh, uh, at this point, worshippers of Korn. And their Primarch, their leader, Angron, uh, even basically becomes this demon prince that almost looks like a bloodthirster. So they uh, really represent corn uh, in many ways. But of course, there's chaos cults that uh, continue to threaten the, um, the remnants of the Imperium of Man, you know, insidiously corrupting decadent nobles or going after the oppressed workers. And, uh, you know, I think in a little bit, we're going to talk about some of the different... Uh, corn cults that we've seen in in some of the books and material that uh, are definitely good for for rpgs uh but before we uh discuss that chris do we want to talk um a bit more about what corn is about and why perhaps people would worship him uh yeah i mean let's get into that because we've we've basically said a lot that you know reiterated quite a few times that corn is about i guess it's it's unrelenting, you know, just bloodshed. So he's not really... Korn is not a death god in the sense of, we think of... Uh, I don't know, like, I guess we could think of in the sense of Nagash. Or a death god in the sense of uh, Yined, uh, the um, the god of the dead of the Eldari. It's just about this unrelenting need to kill and allow blood to flow and just keep, you know, fighting and fighting and getting angrier and angrier and and again, showing that ultimately the the only true true thing in the universe is the need to is the need to kill and that the only thing that allows for ultimate power in the universe is to is physical might and strength in combat. There's nothing more to it. And I think that's where the, we have to make the different show the the difference between corn and other gods. I think we've said that where Myrmidon is about warfare, it's it's about warfare, but it's committed with precision and tactics. With Sigmar, it's mostly warfare committed for, but it's it's for a higher ideal. Uh, it ultimately leads to some higher ideal to fight against evil in the world. Corn isn't about fighting evils. Nor is it about just fighting the good, you know, people that are doing good. It's not. It's not even about opposition to things. It's just about fighting against anyone. So in that respect, then it means while you may think murder might fall into his auspices, but murder is, you know, either it's an act of passion, which might make it more a slanesh thing, or it's, or it's so planned it might fall into the into the you know, fall into kind of uh, Zinch's uh, court. And hence why, you know, the murder gods uh, like Cain are, again, quite different because it's about that intent 
to kill, but again, there's an end reason to it. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, those are great points, just kind of about the, I guess you could say philosophy of all this. And, you know, we see the, um, many of the, the cults of corn that do exist in the different Warhammer universes. Frequently, they're very, very bloodthirsty. Um, in many ways, you know, they're, they're kind of this bright flame, which sparks up and frequently is, is stopped by, you know, in uh, Age of Sigmar, or Warhammer Fantasy, by witch hunters, perhaps, or even just armies of, uh, of Empire soldiers. In 40K, it might be the Inquisition, Imperial Guardsmen, or planetary defense force that have to deal with them. Or in the context of Necromunda, it might just be gangs that are uh, down there in the Underhive. Um, so a lot of them can be quite bloody. Um, but there are some that actually kind of stand out as being a little bit different um, than just kind of crazed bloodshed. You know, for example, in the uh, the Gaunt's Ghost series, there's the Blood Pact. Um, so there was this rogue warlord in the Sabbat sector who created basically a militant priesthood to conquer his planet. And these uh, chaos-worshipping warrior priests eventually you know, turned to corn and became the Blood Pact, um, which are a highly disciplined fighting force. You know, they... Instead of just charging at the enemy like a, a corn berserker or you know the world eaters of the 40k setting, um, they use ambushes, terror, and precision strikes to try to decimate the Imperial Guard. And on the other hand, in um, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay Second Edition, one of the major antagonists was the Cult of the Crimson Skull. And this was a chaos cult that originally infiltrated the Empire during and kind of after the uh, Great War Against Chaos. And they formed this sort of stay-behind army that uh, existed for 300 years, kind of infiltrating different warrior lodges of the Empire and probably Kislev as well. And this cult would uh, you know, be very picky about its, um, its members because it didn't want any, any psychotic uh you know worshippers out doing murder when they wanted to be a secretive cult so instead they looked for individuals with patience and dedication and this cult of the crimson skull uh frequently actually used sigmarite priests for blood sacrifices so you can see that these guys would be very interesting to introduce into age of sigmar as well as an antagonist for uh say soulbound in that role-playing game so that's just a you know a couple examples of uh, some of the different cults that uh, we've seen that uh, I think stand out a little bit. I mean, there is what there are a few named cults in, for instance, in Necromunda, because uh, court. The other thing is we should say is that often cast cults do not worship corn by name. If that makes sense, right? They they worship deities who, under it all, you know. It is corn they're worshiping. The, the 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 rituals and rites are fueling that god, but it's not corn by name. So, for instance, uh, on Necromunda, there are this is coming from the Book of Ruin. There is uh, they call various cults that might refer to corn as, for example, the Scratcher or the Red God or the Lord of Skin and Sinew, and of course the ultimate cows cult on Necromunda and likely occurs elsewhere uh, wherever there is corpse starch and wherever there is the need to refine corpse starch there are the cannibal cults of which are generally known on Necromunda as corpse grinder cults so the this is where uh, the dead on Necromunda 
we'll just say for now, the bodies are gathered up and are recycled to create food known as corpse starch. Now, part of the act of going from a dead human to foil-wrapped, uh, aquila-embossed, <laughs> stamped and sealed rations of corpse starch, there is an act in there that the, that the, the meat, the, the, the product, has to be consecrated. So there is an act there to turn it, where essentially we're saying it goes from being human flesh into food. So it's kind of a bit like it's kind of a bit like um, uh, transubstantiation in Catholicism, of all things. Anyway, but the point is that the corpse grelly cults are those workers uh, who get a taste for the meat before it's been consecrated, and that is what leads them down the uh, to, to the worship of corn, because they just can't get enough of it. And the, the only way they can get more is by killing people. So, uh, yeah, the corpse chronic cults are, are absolutely, absolutely horrific. Um, but I think that's where it gets us into how, and I've definitely read it somewhere within the Eisenhorn books, and I can't remember where, I want to say it's in the Magos, but don't quote me on that, is there was reference again to, on some world, a cult that I'm sure venerated a, a pig, uh, like a pig god, so they, they, they had a deity that was you know, associated with pigs because they, they, they venerated it so that they would get good harvests you know, when they're slaughtering their pigs and growing them. But underneath mm. all that, it was a cornate cult. And I think that just shows how you can get quite a lot of variety from followers of corn who aren't just our angry corn berserkers, if we're going to pick our poster boys of uh, of cornate followers so and i think that's mostly where it's going to get us into now where we're going to talk about role-playing corn by which we mean how do we portray the antagonists of corn and given that we have also and this actually goes back to to gaming news um for soulbound we've got champions of chaos has, has been announced so playable you can play chaos cultists and wrath and glory you can play chaos cultists and in warhammer fantasy yeah, sure, you can play Chaos Cultists. It's going to happen at some point. Um, so we're going to chat about that briefly, about about how we portray Chaos Cultists and how we might play as them, which is going to be really weird uh, and interesting. Right, so I guess we follow on from our thought process of how not all Chaos Cultists are corn berserkers, right? Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, I wish I'd read more about the uh, Corpse Grinder Cults because that's my... Uh... I, my first idea on here was pretty similar. You know, in a lot of early religions, um, priests were also butchers. So what if you had a society in 40K or Age of Sigmar where only priests could cut up the dangerous fauna of their land? So the constant butchering and handling of meat could mean that some would begin to worship corn rather than their state-sanctioned deities. That could be just one way that um, a small cult could start to uh, kind of insinuate itself into a society um another pretty cool yeah. source for uh core knowledge oh go ahead chris yeah I, I was gonna jump in on that one so um i think that works really well for warhammer because in warhammer fantasy because you can then have in isolated communities in the in the empire we'll use the empire because it's more obvious maybe um 
but in isolated communities, you could eat, you could definitely see how certain festivals to um, oh, which which is the world the wilderness. Ah, uh, God, hold on. Let me just Warhammer gods. Let me just do a Google search uh, oh, um, and find my tall. Tall is the uh, wilderness god. I think tall. Yeah, or similar. Yeah, or 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 Raya or or Ulrich as well would be good, but. Again, if there is veneration of those and there is some sort of ritual feast or slaughter that is done to get the blessings of that god, you could see how a cultist, a heretic, could uh, essentially uh, taint the rituals and eventually over time uh, turn that small community towards unwittingly worshipping corn. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a great idea. Um, I have a few other ones as well. I want to go. Sorry. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. I was going to go on. The other one, uh, the other ideas I'm going to go from uh, go off is um, you've watched Brotherhood of Wolf, I, I hope, as well. So I think you could go with yeah. ideas in Warhammer Fantasy, like hunting lodges would be good. Uh, again, because if you're out in the wilderness and you're, you're hunters, you are mostly going they're likely eating a, a, a large amount of game things like that and they'll have trophies pelts skulls so and teeth so again i think that could easily become a good cover for a cornate cult because every so often the thing they hunt is for man flesh um hmm. uh and then also within a going back to our murder gods uh I think we could have some sort of assassins guild, which could or or community fraternity whatever, which again gets slowly perturbed to corn where, you know, they bring up their followers and do their teachings and go how to turn people into wonderful assassins that go out in the Warhammer world and you know cause all manner of of problems, but there's mostly those those high-ranking assassins, members of that cult, well, it's now become a cult, who also keep the bodies of their victims for whether it's just to keep the skulls because they keep trophies, or it also goes into cannibalism. Uh, I think the, the, the big warning on all of this is more than likely, in no matter which way you portray a coordinate cult, there's potential for characters engaging in cannibalism so that's something you might you know you're going to have to talk to your players at the table about that there's going to be either conversations of characters taking you know committing cannibalism or players maybe even wanting to play a cannibal but that's that's a huge like check with your player group Mm -hmm. yeah those are great ideas and uh i'm getting the idea that maybe uh in the predator movies the uh predator aliens are actually corn cultists you never know could be that's, that's um, a really good one yeah yeah that's some good inspiration um yeah so another idea that isn't from an existing book that uh, you were just kind of giving me is that you can have an interesting uh sort of hybrid cult between slanesh and corn which focuses on maybe tattooing or this is getting into content warning territory but um you know, self-harm or self-mutilation as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so instead of, you know, the bloodshed being enacted on others, it could be a more internalized uh, to to the individual 
that worships. So that could be kind of something, uh, uh, I don't want to say interesting, but uh, something pretty bleak uh, to explore with a character in any of the uh, any of the Warhammer role-playing games. Um, in addition to that, uh, there was, of course, the Black Crusade role-playing game uh, from Fantasy Flight, and that has a couple of interesting ideas. Um, you know, if you go through into the uh, Tome of Blood source book, there are a couple options for heretics and renegades. So there's the Zerunt Frost Fathers, which are tribal humans that are devoted to their own form of corn. And it's a similar idea to what you just had, Chris, about uh, trying to become peak hunters and uh, leaders in their world. So slaying monstrous and human prey with their uh, arrows that are ceramite piercing. So very, very powerful weapons. And also they can ride giant lizards. So that's kind of cool as well. Uh, another idea in that book was the Chem Hunters of uh, Messiah, which uh, live on a polluted, uh, wrecked world, and uh, they actually have to consume drug cocktails to survive out in the wilderness. And they go out there because they are uh, helping drill or scout for Prometheum. And of course, they have a lot of hate and rage towards the uh, drill barons who oppress them out there. So many go rogue and turn to the worship of Cain, uh, uh, sorry, of corn. Um, alongside roving bands of mutants on that planet. And uh, the book also notes that uh, some worship Nurgle as well. So I think those are both pretty cool concepts for uh, 40K, which were introduced in a uh, an older version of 40K role-playing. Yeah, um, going off that, I think that's... I'm thinking back to to, Warhammer, uh, to Necromunda. I think there's also... You could look at um, Pit Slaves. And so you're going into perhaps looking at transhumanism where the and kind of like perversions of the cult mechanicus where you know you're you're ch- you're changing parts of your body for you know augmentation that makes you a good pit fighter maybe or just makes you a good fighter in general but that that drive to become the perfect killer through self-augmentation i mean it goes back to the idea of the kind of like that tattooing but where this way it's about you know changing your hand for a drill or a buzzsaw or something like that and that's again i think look, looks at how uh, the point we're getting at is different ways of how characters can interact with the philosophy of corn and it doesn't mean immediately you're just a raving psychopath killer uh like eventually you might get there, but I think there can be quite a long winding path to that end point for those characters, and then they go off the deep end. And I think that's the point is is that they're they're always they're they're getting they every every step along the way they get more and more indulgence in in just the wanton killing they're doing, and they begin to forget about why they even formed a collective in the first place which got perverted to the teachings of corn. <clears throat> I'm trying to think of some other other interesting perhaps examples. I mean, within the age of Sigma, you're also going to we've also seen already, and this comes back to different cults, we can also look at it through the, the lens of what we know through Warcry. There are lots of war bands in Warcry that venerate chaos as a through different kind of um, manifestations, so you know, you've got the tarantulas brood that see chaos as as this giant spider, uh, or you've got the cipher lords 
or you've got the dark oath. And I think what you can do is look at those war bands and some of them might be more suited to being tainted by chaos, by corn, sorry, by tainted by corn, and look at how one of those war bands, a member of those war bands, might fall further and further to being more cornate. Um, like the, the, the um, is it, which one is it, the bird-like ones, the carrion, is it carrion lords, carrion crows? That, that sounds right. Well, I can't think yeah, more, the, ones, the ones that have like crow-like yeah. feathers on them, yep. And a crow would also fit quite well, like a crow god would fit quite well with um, with corn, because, you know, crows and vultures and carrion birds and carrion creatures uh, being present after a battle. So you could see how that would fit. Oh, that's actually a good good idea with the um, with uh, Warhammer Fantasy. What is it? What's what's the? Uh, there's a proper term for it, isn't it? For the people that pick over the bodies or after a battle, looking for trinkets and so forth. Those could easily uh, become mm-hmm. skull yeah. collectors and and turn to uh, the worship of corn because they they see they would initially see the blessing of corn being war happens because we've asked corn for war to occur and then we benefit from it. But eventually, they will get so drawn into it that they just want war for the sake of it, rather than for the the uh, the, the bounty that they get from from the dead. Yeah, looters. A looter becomes eventually the merchant of corn. I like it. Great character concept. Yeah, that's uh, that's dark. <laughs> um, yeah, a little bit. Um, right. <laughs> I think we can wrap up. I think. I think the the the. I think we got to the point really, which is. There's a lot of ways of portraying and playing as a worshipper of corn, and it, and sure, while you could have your 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 archetypes, your stereotype like the blades of corn or the uh, or the uh, world eaters, uh, space marines, they are the real, they are the ultimate extreme end of of and the very end point of worshiping corn. And along that road, there are numerous numerous paths that lead pretty much to the to the same endpoint. But how you get there is where all the interesting stuff happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I just have a couple of things to mention at the uh, at the tail end here. You know, we're really focusing this episode on Corn's philosophy, uh, such as it is and his uh, mortal cults but we can mention his demons a little bit real fast um you know they're usually a bit more straightforward yeah than the other ones uh we've got of course uh the bloodthirsters which are big bullheaded gods with uh giant wings and a variety of weapons and um there's some of the most powerful uh beasts to come up against uh in the entire warhammer uh, uh, demonic pantheon, if you will, you know, whether it be Age of Sigmar, 40k, etc. Um, and they just tear through people. Um, Bloodletters are the more uh, human sized uh, beings, usually with swords. Um, they are really just just a one trick pony going in and attacking. Uh, they don't really have much uh, free thought for themselves, so not great at conversations. Uh, flesh hounds are pretty neat um they are these basically kind of hounds red hounds with some uh kind of uh green thins and they hunt 
uh, this is more of a 40k aspect, but they usually hunt their victims by tracking their their psychic energy, basically. Uh, that lets them uh, hunt, which is actually interesting. If you put them up against Tau, they might have a bit more trouble sniffing them out. Just a little fun fact right there. And then, of course, you have the Chuggernauts of Corn, which are these giant, metallic, uh, you know, living metal, demonic um, uh, rhinoceri, essentially, which uh, different champions of Corn might ride upon. And uh, those were always interesting because you would find them in Warhammer 40,000, but they also let you have the miniature, I believe, in Warhammer Fantasy in some editions, which uh, always seems like an interesting choice, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's also that weird, I can't remember what it's called. What's the weird thing that uh, the blood letters can ride upon uh, in, uh, in, oh. in both? It's like, a, it's like a chariot, but you can use it in, in both. And it also has like a gun built into it. It's, uh, hold on, I'm, I'm literally on the Games Workshop website. Yeah. Uh, it's a, um, there we go, hold on, are we? Chaos. Blades of yeah. corn? No, there's there's a couple of other things. <clears throat> For 40k with Forge World, there's also the Brass Scorpion, which is actually a really cool looking scorpion sort of vehicle. Um, which is, I believe, also uh, demonic. Uh, it's a, a, a demon engine. So there's a couple other things yeah, that uh, can be brought in, few, especially for 40k. There's a, few, there's a few demon engines. Yeah, there's a few demon engines because they were originated in... Um, epic so there's the uh, lord of battles uh which i think we effectively have a version of in 40k uh the the things i was talking about that kind of like a demon chariots are the corn skull cannon and the corn blood throne um we also have let me find that for warhammer 40,000 what a big demon engine is it's uh it's fun i mean these are obviously make um you know great uh antagonists uh for for whichever game you're playing um it's a vehicle come on i say it's a vehicle but it's like you know no yeah it's it's a lord of skulls um which is basically a big tank but has a huge you know humanoid body on the front yeah, with a big the one the, big the, axe <laughs> and a chain gun and yeah. The, yeah the track chassis that has a giant dude on top of it oh yeah that's a uh Classic, yeah. classic corn design right there. Yeah, uh, very and then, cool. Um, and of there course, are character demons. There are character demons. Um, there's Skylar, uh, Skylar, and Fingrim, who uh, I remember being in fourth edition Warhammer, um, which is uh, essentially kind of like a bloodhound, but jacked up, kind of. Mm. Yeah, there's a couple cool things uh, in there for the demons. And of course, we'll, we'll explore uh, demons a little bit more in the future chaos episodes. But this wouldn't be Darkhammer without Mike trying to tell people about Black Library novels he read 10 years ago at the very end. So here's two recommendations <laughs> for you. Um, we've got, if you're interested in that blood pact I was mentioning, uh, Dan Abnett's Gaunt's Ghost have them as one of the main antagonists. And they're first introduced in the Guns of Tanith novel. And as well for Warhammer Fantasy, uh, but this actually works really well for Age of Sigmar. There's Blood by uh, Blood for the Blood God by C.L. Uh, Werner, and this one's cool because it's a Conan-style warrior who chases the Skulltaker, who's a uh, a a named character bloodletter essentially, uh, throughout Norsica and the Chaos Wastes. 
And as he's chasing after him, he encounters all these different tribes and chaos cults along the way. And uh, the author actually went back and read a bunch of early Warhammer stuff like Slaves to, Ca- uh, Slaves to Darkness and Lost in the Damned to get uh, some ideas for how these cults would worship corn without calling it corn. So I think there actually was like a raven version of, uh, of corn that someone was, was worshiping or a carrion eater type. Um, and that did stick out to me when you were talking about that before, Chris. So that one's pretty cool just for all the different uh, uh, iterations of the chaos gods that you find in it. Interesting. Um, yeah, there's... There's a, yeah, there's there's definitely lots. There's a I think the point is there's a lot of options. There's a lot of ways you can try it. Um, you know you, and I think the point is you can get a lot of fun with this in your games by really throwing curveballs about is it a cornate cult or I think actually more often it's a cult that looks like it's you know something else but is actually to corn like. And that's where, you know, within, you know, your investigative horror type games of Warhammer, I think that's where you're going to have a lot of fun, uh, where the big reveal occurs and you're like, oh, so this isn't, this isn't a cult devoted to, uh, to, um, you know, to, to Slanesh or isn't devoted to even to, uh, to, to Nagash or, or some undead god or something like that. It's actually a cornate cult underneath it all. Um, mm. but that's good. I mean, that's good. You want, I think making corn not obvious is, is the, the trick. Yeah. Chris have a Mr. Morden character the entire time. And it turns out he's not devoted to Z. Oh, he's shit. devoted to corn the entire time. Yeah. Oh, that's he, that's a really good shout out there. Yeah. Mr. Morden yeah. is, yeah, actually the entire, the shadows entirely are, they're not Zeechin, they're Cornate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There wow. we go. I think that's the mic drop right there. And uh, Chris, you want to take us out yeah. of here? Yeah, on that bombshell then. Um, right. Well, that's been our episode of Dark Hammer, uh, all about uh, chaos and in this particular instance, corn. Uh, if you have any comments or opinions, you can contact us on darkdaysradio at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at darkdaysradio. You can come over to our Discord where you can discuss these ideas and more. Tell us where we're wrong. Tell us where we're right. Tell us your interesting ideas for Cornate cults, which just don't look like Cornate cults. Uh, Or even give us hints and tips ready or things you think we should talk about for the next Chaos God, which is undoubtedly going to be Nurgle because Nurgle is big boy number two out of the lot. Um, Daddy Nurgle. It's going to be fun. I'm going to really enjoy that. Uh, and also, I think we have to say at this point, Brendan, if you're, what, if you're listening, yes, you're definitely going to have to be on that episode for it because obviously you're a massive uh, plague marine uh, nut. Um, and yeah, and obviously if you go over to Dark Age Radio, you can listen to our regular episodes. We've got a uh, review coming up about uh, Hunter, the Reckoning 5th Edition. Uh, you can listen to uh, Crystal Mazers at the start of her series on introduction to f- uh, freelance uh, writing for games. Uh, then we also have our episodes uh, from from uh, Gen Con, where uh, Chig and Crystal ran a, uh, 
uh, a panel on horror in tabletop gaming and also uh crystal ran a, a again another kind of introduction to freelance uh tabletop uh writing um i think that's it with uh everything yeah, definitely. And people got to check out the Realm of Fire, which is now on the channel. And that's uh, an of epic, yeah. epic wargaming uh, arm to uh, the Darker Days family, I guess you could call it at this point. And uh, they got some spicy hot takes, a lot of Warhammer and uh, <laughs> some other RPG, or other war games they like to talk about. So it's good stuff. Yeah. So that is it for now. And we'll uh, talk to you soon. But goodbye for now. So see ya. Yep. Take it easy. Yeah.